Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're here at the venue of the National Congress of American Indians in October of 2019. The setting is Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we are in the convention hall. Many of you, if you're regular listeners, you've heard a number of programs from this very same venue, and we're continuing this uh, great opportunity to talk with people who are making a significant difference in Indian country. Across from me right now is Patrick Anderson. Patrick, it's great to have you with us. It's wonderful to be here again. Those who are regular listeners, they know you from the show. I know you're well-known in Indian country beyond anything you've ever done with American Indian Living. But I have to tell you something, and actually we did talk about this briefly before the show, but your previous interview on American Indian Living was so impactful, talking about adverse childhood experiences and how you actually overcame all those strikes against you and have become... uh, successful as a lawyer, making a a huge difference in so many different uh, Native organizations. Such an inspiring story. And interestingly, you you have a chance to to read the book, The Methuselah Factor. Uh, And just for the record, I just gave uh, Patrick a copy of my recently published book, The Methuselah Factor. I have a section in there where we're talking about stress management. And it includes some of the techniques you talked about, smiling under stress, uh, there's some very interesting research on that topic that I wasn't aware of until you brought that to my attention, uh, as well as uh, some other techniques that you uh, you verbalized. So hopefully you'll find that we did justice in the book, The Methuselah Factor, to your insights. Well, I'm excited to uh, sit down and read it. I have a long airplane ride back to Alaska. It'll be in my backpack, so I will pour through it. Uh, but thank you for doing that. Uh, My mission is to spread knowledge and information that might be helpful to people. Not to everyone, but for the population that I work with, those who are, who have real health issues, who have real toxic stress issues, that's the population that I'm trying to reach. Tremendous. And since the last time we were together, Patrick, uh, we just began talking about some of the exciting things that have happened in your world, especially with Rural CAP, the Rural Community Action Program, a Rural Alaska Community Action Program that you head up there. And I said, wait, don't just give your enthusiasm to me. Let's get you on air. And you were so gracious to uh, allow me to get things uh, geared up so that we could actually record this. Well, you had the time, and I had the time. I am excited about what our staff is doing. We have a board of 24 that adopted a couple of new initiatives that uh, I'll share with you. Uh, But it's real helpful to have a community that is interested in the same things that you are interested in, and I feel like I have that uh, at my current position. That is so great. First, for those who don't recall the previous interview or didn't have an opportunity to hear it, tell us a little bit about Rural CAP, just what that's all about. In the great society programs that were implemented in 1965 out of the Lyndon Johnson era, uh, they set up... uh, a process of creating community action agencies to address poverty as an issue. Hmm. So our agency is funded through, in part, the Community Service Block Grant program 
to try and be innovative and creative about how we address the issues that accompany poverty. There's a huge literature on poverty, but the real fact is, is that only about 5% of the poverty population actually move out into uh, a good position. Mm. A lot of times they're flirtatious with poverty and, and the lower areas just above poverty. Mm -hmm. So innovative and creative ideas are important. <clears throat> the reason I came to Rural Cap is that as you and I discussed before I went there, I'm really interested in how the concepts and learning in the world of toxic stress impact the population of poverty, uh, and I find that they do substantially. In the medical profession, in the, in the social um, welfare professions, they talk about social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are five of those. All of those are impacted by being raised in a toxically stressed environment. So what I found in this community is a significant acceptance um, of what impacts the population that lives in poverty. Uh, what we're trying to do is to see if we can push down and address the deeper pockets of poverty, much of which exist in Alaska. We have a belt of uh, poverty that is substantially higher than the national average and, and higher than the Alaska average. Hmm. Uh, but it's also accompanied by a very high level of toxic stress as measured by the number of adverse childhood experiences that the general population has. So let's step back a little bit and talk about some of these definitions because it's not like we've just had two back-to-back -back shows and folks have been tracking along with us. So this term toxic stress, I mean, a lot of people think, well, stress is bad. How could it be worse? Why do you stick a adjective like toxic before it? Dr. Jack Shonkoff, who is director of the Harvard Center for the Developing Child, also deeply engaged with the American Academy of Pediatrics, has been doing research on adverse childhood experiences for quite some time. And what they came up with in order to define who those are with the greatest degree of impact from the imposition of adverse childhood experiences on them during childhood was the phrase toxic stress. And so on the last program, I mentioned that I had six of the ten studied adverse mm -hmm. childhood experiences. Functionally, I am toxically stressed, and that expresses itself in certain actions and behaviors and certain health consequences. Tolerable is that space between toxic. It doesn't mean that you can't move into tolerable. If you look at life experiences, for example, those of veterans, mm -hmm. if you are not, uh, if you are tolerably stressed, but you're sent to a war zone, you can slide into toxic very okay. quickly. Okay. If you're normal stress, that doesn't mean you can't slip into tolerable, um, but it's not as likely that you're to make it to toxic if you're from the normal stress. But those are the gradations that Dr. Shankoff led to through his work with the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Harvard Center on the Developing Child. So basically, in the partners that you have there, uh, based up in Anchorage, Alaska, you found a team of people that really share not only this concern, but also a, a common maybe approach or view or hypothesis as to how to address toxic stress. Is that fair to say? Um, let me confess something. Um, I've had almost two decades of CEO experience. Okay. And there's a process in the military called commander's intent 
you cannot have everyone in an organization singing the same song, um, playing off the same sheet of music, unless you have someone conducting. Hmm. But the conductor isn't playing the music. They're okay. playing their own separate pieces. But uh, commander's intent just basically is, is here's a destination we would like to go. Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. how we would like to do it. What can you add to this conversation? So what I found were a number of people, some of whom I hired, who were willing to buy in to the belief that there is a future state that we can look to that can help to reduce the incidences of toxic stress. And by doing that, alleviating a lot of the negative behaviors and a lot of the the negative health consequences that come out of toxic stress. So let's talk about where things have gone. How long have you been uh, at the at the head of the uh, Rural Alaska Community Action Program? I was hired in late January of 2018 as an interim CEO. Okay. In uh, late June, uh, I was put on as permanent, and my contract was agreed to. So functionally, I was permanent since September of last year. So I'm now into a year and two months of uh, leading. I didn't get my full executive team filled out until September of last year. So we are now aligning Mm -hmm. as a part of commander's intent. Uh, You want good alignment. It's not a dictatorial uh, workplace. It's not a command and control workplace. So what my staff has done is that they heard uh, coming in that I had this huge and passionate interest in alleviating toxic stress Uh, in all communities, but since our target population is the poverty community, uh, in that community. really doesn't matter to me where I start. If Mm -hmm. we prove any of it successful, it can be transferred to any population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as we began tackling the issues that the organization had on a business front, we started talking about what we could do that would be new, creative, innovative, and fulfill some of these expectations of the community action agencies to be innovative and creative in addressing poverty. And we came up with a number um, which they have all contributed substantially to. And as we go into alignment, we are led by the person who is at the highest level of achievement and understanding in that discipline. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have a chief operating officer, a very well-trained in traditional operations, but I am uh, well-trained in the processes of lean management, lean healthcare, lean thinking. Mm -hmm. And so rather than my being a dictatorial, you're going to do this, do that, we have conversations, and he is learning uh, and adapting what I'm able to bring to him in terms of coaching. Tremendous. With toxic stress... Our breakthrough initiative for employees is to heal organizational trauma and to build what Simon Sinek refers to as a huge circle of safety as opposed to the small circles of safety that most people find themselves into. That came out of my chief people and culture officer, Barbara Bell. She read a book on organizational trauma, Mm -hmm. related it to our Mm -hmm. discussions uh, on my restoration to health hypothesis that you and I talked about the Mm -hmm. last time we had this. And she said, I'd like to do this. So we discussed it as a team, thought how wonderful. 
let's make this our second breakthrough initiative and let's figure out what we need to do in order to have employees in our workplace who don't feel threatened by the workplace, Mm -hmm. who are encouraged to recognize problems, even if they made them and fixed them. Mm. But even more so, can we bring the concepts of healing from toxic stress to our employees? And, oh, by the way, if they're tolerable and normally stressed, let's teach them how to be ecstatically happy all the time. Okay, fair enough. I mean, it's it's such an important topic, Patrick. I don't need to tell you this, but I think a lot of our our listeners are, are thinking about organizational trauma, organizational stress, because so many have found themselves in a workplace, in a setting where really uh, it was undermining their health, undermining their outlook. And it seems, I don't know, maybe it's uh, it's just me, but it seems even organizations today in the posture, the role, the common methods of functioning seem to be more prone to promoting organizational trauma than ever before. Is there any data to suggest that, or is that just my narrow viewpoint? There is lots of data. Something like 90% of people feel organizationally stressed Hmm. in the workplace. There are pockets of hope. Uh, The CEO for Aetna, for example, had severe health care and pain issues. He found relief in meditation. Hmm. He allowed his staff to develop, his executive staff, to develop a program for meditation Never forced anyone into it, just offered it. And what he found, and I'm struggling to recall, Dr. DeRose, but what I think I recall is that they had, on average, five fewer sick days uh, by introducing meditation than they did before. So it wasn't a scientific experiment, but Uh it was controlled enough so they understood what was going on. Okay, so this is a big problem. You, from the get-go, looking at that in your own organization, saying if we're going to help anyone else, we've got to be a healthy organization, right? Yes, that started off with the two principal pillars of lean management, one of which is respect for people. Mm -hmm. That's the foundation. The other of which is continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. Continuous improvement mandates that we recognize problems even when we cause them. That means that I, as a CEO, cannot shame or blame anyone else for a problem. I can teach Mm -hmm. them how to recognize them. This is powerful stuff. So we've got to talk more about this, but if some can't stay with us for our entire interview, Patrick, where can uh, someone connect with you, connect with your organization? Uh, we are Rural Cap, so if you go to the website ruralcap.com.org, I don't even remember because I rarely go to it. Okay, I've got, I've got ruralcap.com in front okay. of me, so that must be the, the one. Yes, and that's where we'll be listed. Okay, so just repeat that again. Yes, ruralcap.com, R-U-R-A-L-C-A-P.com, one word. Okay, we're going to step away just briefly. I'm Dr. David DeRose here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We'll be coming back with more from the National Congress of American Indians in our next segment. Don't go away. We will be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's one 800 775 Four six seven three. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. 
For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Patrick Anderson here in the convention center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We're talking about something that I find extremely exciting. It's called the Rural Alaska Community Action Program. Patrick is the CEO of that group. We've been talking some about his history in coming to that organization, and we're going to learn about some of the exciting things that have been happening already. Before we get into the exciting progress, I think to give a setting to everyone tuning in today, we have to talk a little bit about your restoration to health hypothesis. Uh, give us some overview of what that's all about. Uh, absolutely. The RTH, as I refer to it, is a combination of a huge variety of scientific research structured in a process that I believe sequentially is helpful to people. What I found in running healthcare systems is that the biggest problem people have is accepting their diagnosis or accepting mm. that something has happened to them mm -hmm. and then having the resolve to do something about it. Oh, okay. So to get someone to that point, uh, doctors and, and uh, clinicians have learned a couple of concepts. One is motivational interviewing. Mm -hmm. In business, Dr. Edgar Schein has a similar concept called humble inquiry. Hmm. So what we want to do in the first step of RTH is to acknowledge your personhood and to hear you. Not just ask you to tell us, but to truly hear you. We need to figure out where you are at in your life, what it is that you accept and don't accept. We best basically want to take you where you are at. Don't want to force you into anything, but if you are ready, we go into the next step. 
This is so interesting that you're talking about this, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this example when we were dialoguing before, but some years ago, my wife and I, who are both physicians, started working with an indigent population in uh, Northern California, and uh, actually was early in my tenure there, that uh, a patient came into the clinic, and I was running late that day, which is actually not uncommon. I introduced myself and my wife and then apologized to her that I was running so late. She stopped me. She said, Dr. DeRose, don't apologize. You've already done more for me than any doctor in years. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what have I done? The only thing that I could envision is I treated her like a person with respect, which is often, well, in short supply in that segment of the population. Does that resonate with these concepts at all? The concept comes from the management training that I had in the whole area of lean thinking, lean healthcare. Mm -hmm. Not about budget cutting. It is a management system developed at Toyota. And what Toyota realized is that in order for them to achieve, they needed to achieve collectively. And that meant respect their employees, Mm. respect their suppliers, respect their customers, respect the people who provide service. It not only resonates, it is the foundation of the restoration to health hypothesis. So as a traumatized person, I have had to learn what respect is. And as I have healed through some of these concepts, I have a very different approach. Mm -hmm. So when Dr. Shine's concept of humble inquiry came my way, I took a day-long workshop on it. It was difficult for me, but as I realized the benefits in respecting a person enough to truly listen and to ask questions that help draw out what it is that they wanted to say as opposed to what I wanted to hear them say, Mm -hmm. you know, research, I think, demonstrates that the average amount of time before a physician interrupts a patient who is coming in to give their history is about 17 seconds. Wow, wow. So it's as if the patient is really not the most important uh, one in the room. It's making a diagnosis and coming up with a, a treatment efficiently, and the patient is actually getting in the way of the process. Is that a fair uh, assessment? I would say that's a fair assessment. Wow, wow. So this is sobering stuff, and we're talking about how you're taking these insights from business, uh, from uh, medical insights, from medical research, and translating it to real action, and that's what you've been doing at Rural Cap. And before, part of my training is in what the Japanese refer to as the five whys. Okay. So when you are questioning a patient, hopefully you're trying to dig down to the root cause of their problem. Mm. If you can solve that root cause, then all of the problems above it go away. Okay. That's exactly what I did when I thought about what it took to heal people, I came across the ACE study, Mm -hmm. and as I read it, I said, oh, my goodness, what do you mean a 20-year shorter lifespan for people who have six of the traumas? 20-year shorter lifespan means that there is some reason for the lifespan being shorter. That just I'm not a physician, I'm not a pharmacist, I'm not a clinical psychologist, I'm a humble little country lawyer who is curious and not bound by any knowledge that I learned from others. Uh, So as I began thinking root cause, I said, there's something about this toxic stress that impacts people such that it causes them to have higher rates of alcoholism, higher rates of opioid abuse, 
uh, higher rates of heart disease, higher rates of diabetes. I need to understand more of that. So as a former college professor in public administration and law science, I decided I needed to do a lot of research. Okay, and I know you've done a lot of research. Yes, um, and it comes from different ways. I'm not just looking at the scientific studies. I hear about people who have improved, hmm. and I say I need to know more about that. So last time I explained to you how Bill W., one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. He was advised by Dr. Abram Hoffer to take three grams of niacin three times a day, one gram. And he said that it was the most relief he had ever had from the unrelenting depression that drove him. So I looked into that. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. when you look at the B vitamins, yes, they do really help uh, alcoholics. And as you pointed out, that's the vitamin that they typically get after they have been brought in to sober up. They're led away with a B vitamin shot. This whole topic is so vital. And one of the things I get worried about sometimes, Patrick, is when we're speaking among ourselves as health professionals, we use this acronym for the Adverse Childhood Experiences as ACE or ACEs. And I think sometimes when folks are listening and haven't keyed into that acronym, a lot of times, well, ACE, I mean, that sounds like something really good. You know, you're the ACE. But when we talk about ACEs, we're talking about these bad things that happened in childhood I know we've spoken about this before, but and we don't want to spend too much time rehashing things that we've covered on past uh, programs because folks can listen to the podcast. They can go on to SoundCloud or to Life Talk Radio and, and listen to the archives. But having said that, just a quick overview of what these adverse childhood experiences are. There were 10 studied. It doesn't mean that there are only 10. Mm -hmm. But what I found is that when you accumulate them, it doesn't matter if you have 15 or 20. Once you're over a certain number, you're going to be impacted. Okay. So in, in the research, what they found is that if you had an absent biological parent, Mm -hmm. you had domestic violence in the home, you were a victim of contact sexual abuse, you've had a parent who was in prison, uh, you, had an alcoholic uh, parent or a parent who had a mental issue Mm -hmm. that you were physically abused or mentally abused or if you were physically neglected or emotionally neglected. Those were the ten that were studied. Um, What they found is it was only the numerical stacking that made any difference. Uh, Right now they're finding that a couple of them make a little bit more difference, but, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have six, seven, or eight, um, you can be helped. It's the recognition of what happened to you uh, and what it led to. What it led to is that if you were a child experiencing these, your brain was developing increasingly rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a little, a couple of little um, organs, the amygdala and the hippocampus, that mediate your fight-to-flight response. What basically happens is, is that if you're going to fight or flee, you're doing it in response to a cue that you were raised with. So if you're raised to have a higher level of fight or flight response, what your body, what your brain does is that it takes all of the energy that it can spare and puts it into your body. So you're not going to think your way out of a fight or flight response. You need to react. Mm-hmm. When we were truly living in a physical threat environment, how fast you reacted was important. So your reaction is instantaneous. Now we're in basically a freeze state. Um, I don't know how to better phrase that. But okay. We're living in a society where you can't fight or you can't run or you lose your jobs or you okay, get put in jail. Enough, fair enough. So we freeze. 
Uh-huh. If we fight or run, that's good, except for the consequences. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you fight or run, you're dissipating the chemicals that your body has put out in order to fight or run. Uh, if you don't dissipate those, then all of these are accompanied by uh, your body's greater uh, inflammation in order to facilitate healing. That's the deleterious health effect. The deleterious behavioral effect is that sometimes you have all of these feelings running through you, um, identifying threats, thinking about threats, anxiety, that you end up entering into negative behaviors to accommodate those. I mean, this is such a good summary of uh, what we're talking about, Patrick. And this area, you know, speaking about brain science and speaking about different regions of the brain, uh, some of the folks uh, who've listened to the show before who have read things about neuroscience, they know about this limbic system with the amygdala, the hippocampus, and, and other structures. We're going to tie this all together because it really relates very directly to what you and others are doing to make a difference in many communities. We're going to be synthesizing this and building on it in our next segment. You don't want to miss it. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More to come on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose back with you with my guest, Patrick Anderson, CEO of the Rural Alaska Community Action Program. And Patrick, you're such a wealth of information. I'm sure that there's a lot of great information on your website, too. Is that a wrong conclusion to draw? Um, It is for now. We are actually in the process of redeveloping our website. Okay, okay. Um, And so there's not a lot on there about this. But that's what happens when you're rebuilding an organization after a period of trauma. Okay, well, fair enough. So, But definitely, if you want to get a hold of, uh, of Patrick... Uh, and or his team, simply the website ruralcap.com. That's rural, just like living out away from the big cities, capcap.com. So, Patrick, we were speaking about the work that, uh, that your team is doing in communities of need, communities where there has been a lot of toxic stress, a lot of uh, challenges with these adverse childhood experiences, and this restoration to health hypothesis. I think our listeners clearly walked away with a a clear focus on the individual, Uh, not coming in to be the problem fixer necessarily, but to come alongside of people and go on a journey with them. Is that a safe way to describe the philosophy? Extremely safe. In my years in healthcare, I have not met anyone who does not want to be healthy. It's a matter of whatever they try is not taking there. And so what we want to do is to walk hand in hand and then to acquaint them with other people who are on the same pathway so that they can heal together. And even more so, the cultural connections that people have can be incredibly healing. We are social beings. We've not been taught to be social beings by many cultures. So uh, by having cohorts of healers, we can go through the steps together. So to remind everyone, the first step is just accepting that you have issues that you need to deal with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and resolve to do something about it. The second is is that because of our society, we are nutritionally not ready to heal in most cases. Mm. So we have huge diabetes problems. That's an indicator of a very poor diet, heavy in carbohydrates and sugars. So one of the things that we want to do to try and heal the brain is to reduce the balance of of uh, carbohydrates related to fats. Okay. And there are also negative impacts of not having enough of the right fats in your diet. Mm-hmm. So if you have mm-hmm. a lot of omega 6s and 9s uh, compared to 3s, that upsets the normal balance that nature gave you, which is typically a 1 to 1. So now if we can get you to 4 or 3 to 1, your brain will be better able to heal. So really when we're talking in these circles, of course, for the average listener, they may be listening to this terminology and say, what are we dealing with? But we're talking about the benefits of things like omega-3 fats that we find in natural foods and fish, things of that nature, right? Some yes. Some of the superior fats. But what I find is that there's not enough foods out there for us to bring our brain up to where it has a normal amount of omega-3s. So I encourage supplementation. Okay. And what are you recommending at this point in your uh, in your journey to help communities and individuals? If you can start off with two grams, uh, that'll get you enough of, of the two types of fats that we're talking about to begin building up a little bit of a reserve. Uh, if you have access to a healthcare provider, a naturopath, and you can actually have it measured, mm-hmm. then I would have it measured. What happens is is that it starts to permeate the fats in your brain. Mm-hmm. Your brain is 60% fat, 
and it reflects the same divisions of different types of fats, but you just want to get as much omega-3 in there as would be there in nature. Like I said, it would be one-to-one, but we would be lucky at this point if we could get you to three to four to one. At that point, your brain will be healing and able to move into next steps. You know, it's interesting you're talking about this. I think we're, we're both aware of someone who's also been a guest on, on my show, Dr. Neil Nedley, who's done a lot with nutrition and, and brain performance. And again, one of the things that he's emphasizing is the fluidity of those nerve cell, those neuron, those brain cell membranes, if you will. And that's where the action takes place with the neurotransmitters, the, the dopamines and serotonin. So uh, you know, very much on point. So first, we're basically accepting that we have issues. We're focusing on nutrition. Where else do we go in this paradigm? Okay, so we were uh, talking a little bit ago about the fact that we can, in the stress response, fight, flee, or freeze. Okay, fair enough. So in today's society, if we fight, let's look at a teenager in, mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. If we fight, what are they going to do? Boot them out. If they flee, a lot of them do. They drop out. Okay. Most freeze because they cannot exercise when they're in a stress situation. Mm-hmm. Those two physical elements, when we freeze in nature, an animal will tremor. Okay. Tremoring is a natural response to dissipating the fear chemicals huh. once you've frozen. Uh-huh. So the third step... Um, Dr. David Berselli, a brilliant researcher who actually worked in war-torn countries and found the relationship between stress and tremoring, developed a series of exercises that he refers to as trauma release exercise. But any exercise is important. Uh Uh, Endorphins uh, help you with happiness. Um, Adrenaline, other chemicals take you out of depression Mm -hmm. so exercise has a lot of benefits but trauma release in particular is to pull those chemicals that have been stored in your body that you need to cleanse out of it Um, i think uh, dr levine refers to it as somatic experiencing that puts you into a tremor environment Hmm. if you go into acupuncture Sometimes they will hit the right nerve that sends you into as much as an hour's worth of tremoring. Hmm. Your body has stored up the stress, and by releasing it, I think you are better able then to focus on the fourth step, which is where I think the real healing comes into effect. Okay, well, you've definitely got our attention. I mean, a lot of people say, well, this all makes sense. Accepting I've got issues, sure, I can't get anything fixed unless I realize I've got a problem. And nutrition and exercise, nobody's arguing those points what about the fourth one is that as well accepted as some of these others it is starting to be as well accepted i think there's something for everyone Mm -hmm. um, but they're not well known okay so i i explained to you the last time this concept of tapping or emotional freedom technique okay Uh there's a video out there uh, gary craig the person who put together the tapping concept brought six veterans who had diagnoses of PTSD that ranged from 5 to 30 years in duration. And within seven days, through this tapping, they were able to reduce the symptoms of it by 50 to 100%. That's big. That's one of them. Another one um, that I'm real enamored with is the whole concept of meditation and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So last time we talked, I was not aware of the research that... uh, 
had been reviewed by Dr. Daniel Goleman, and I'm sorry I forget the name of his co-author. Uh, I think it's Richard Davidson. Uh, but Dr. Davidson had been researching meditation for 30, 40 years. He mm -hmm. started in the 1970s. And in the book that they co-wrote together called Altering Traits, they found solid scientific evidence for the benefits of both mindfulness and meditation, including with PTSD victims. Hmm. So those are three of the items that I look at. Dr. Uh, Marsha Linehan at the University of Washington developed a treatment protocol that she referred to as dialectical behavioral therapy. Dr. Linehan practices Zen Buddhism. The foundation of DBT is Buddhism, uh, but it also has a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy in there, which is also founded on a meditative calming basis. Well, this is so interesting because, of course, on American Indian Living, we have listeners from the whole spectrum of, uh, of spirituality. Some people who are traditionally native in their thinking, Buddhism uh, might sound like a very foreign concept, people who are Christians. But really, we're not talking so much about a religion as looking at some of these techniques that, uh, that may be effective whatever spiritual perspective you come from. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. So when I explain to people the native traditional mindfulness, I use the concept of a solitary seal hunter standing out on the ice for five or six or seven hours. Mm. Seals have breath holes, and they move from hole to hole to hole. If you are not mindful and aware at the time the seal shows up, you don't get dinner. Right. And so you're... In a mindful state, which means that you're in the present, you're paying attention to everything that's happening to you or around you, but you're not worrying about things that mm. happened in the past and you're not anxious about things that happened in the future because that one little megasecond where you see the breath hole being used is when you need to strike. Mm -hmm. So we have those concepts, but we don't think of them as being meditation. All meditation is is clearing your mind and training it away from reacting and taking all of these negative fear thoughts of the past or the anxious thoughts of the future and living in the present. That takes practice, but the research in, in the book Altered Traits demonstrates that it's well worth it in order for you to help heal. So we've heard you talk about some of these various uh, techniques, if you will, uh, the tapping, the meditation, but for this fourth point, what umbrella do you put this all under to describe these different modalities? Just healing. Okay. Just Simply healing. That's the fourth point in the framework. So what brain science has found is that the amygdala and the hippocampus can alter. So one gets bigger, the other gets smaller, you're more fearful. One gets smaller, the other gets bigger, you are less fearful, you're able to do more thinking. But the whole goal is to calm your mind. Mm -hmm. Your brain uses the same amount of energy. It's about 20 to 25% of the glucose and oxygen that your body takes in. When you learn how to breathe properly and you learn how to focus, it not only helps you heal, but it helps you be more successful in life. Mm. So working backwards... A lot of people who are in poverty, for example, have never been taught how to breathe, how to focus. They've okay. been dealing with the stresses. Part of what I learned in Altered Traits that blew me away is that students who were taught how to meditate in order to increase their focus on studies 
they found a 30% increase on their scores on the GRE, the graduate record huh. exam, without any other intervention. That's huge. It is. That is huge. Totally huge. Even more so, students who were taught how to breathe had a one-point increase in their GPA. Huh. Taught how to read? Breathe. Oh, breathe. I breathe. was going to say, yeah. okay. Taught Reading helps too. But <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I teaching. think they would give you more than a one point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, breathing was instrumental. And very few people breathe now like a child does. When you look at a child, think of it, if their hair is pulling them up, they're standing up, they don't mind where their belly is, but they breathe through their belly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they take deep breaths and measured breaths. That's the way we are taught to breathe in meditation. And when you do that regularly, you're... You're slowing down your breaths. You're taking in more. You're letting that exchange happen. It blew me away. You have done such a great job of giving us a framework again, although we haven't yet touched on the fifth point in the uh, in the construct. We will touch on that briefly because we've got to listen to, to some of the amazing results that have been taking place utilizing these techniques. I've been talking with Patrick Anderson, if you're just joining us. He is the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer of an organization called Rural Cap, uh, based in Alaska in uh, Anchorage there. Website, ruralcap.com. We will be back with more from Patrick in our final segment, things that really, I believe, can be life-changing. Don't miss it. More right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with my guest who's been with me from the top of the hour, Patrick Anderson. He is a lawyer, the CEO of Rural Alaska Community Action Program. Patrick, we've been speaking about the challenges that all of us face in life, but some face uh, extreme challenges, whether it's these adverse childhood experiences alone setting the stage for things, whether it's uh, other exposure to toxic stress. We're talking about how we can restore communities and individuals to health. You've been walking us through your restoration to health hypothesis. We've talked about four critical areas and uh, we're ready for the fifth one. Uh, what is that? The fifth is respecting the healing professions in behavioral health, the psychiatrists, the clinicians, uh, the psychologists. There is a point where individuals need the healers. Mm. That's the fifth. Okay. If you need professional help, we should evaluate that at the beginning knowledge mm-hmm. session. So. If you are, um, if you have FAE, uh, FAS, uh, the fetal alcohol syndromes, mm-hmm. if you have uh, schizophrenia, if you have any of a number of um, behavioral health issues that require the help of a professional, we should know about that. So many of us go through life with toxic stress, managing them with negative behaviors, accumulating the health consequences. Uh, that's what the restoration to health hypothesis addresses, but we need to respect the fact that you as a physician, your colleagues as psychiatrists, those in the healing professions involving the brain, they have a role and a place in five respects. I think this is so important because so many times we talk about community initiatives or looking at the infrastructure of a community And oftentimes those who are in the healing profession seem to be marginalized. And I think it's often why we don't get uh, good buy-in from the very ones who are often on the front lines of addressing some of the problems we're talking about, right? Yes. So let's move from all that background to the exciting research with what you've called a breakthrough initiative that uh, Rural Cap has been implementing. Uh, Absolutely. In 2008, when I began thinking about root cause analysis, what are causing a lot of these health and behavioral issues, I began formulating a systemic approach to healing Mm -hmm. that involves four areas. We have to respect and acknowledge that as a society, we have an area of laws, of customs, of mores, um, that they're going to affect us regardless. Okay. We also have a culture that is smaller, and that can be as small as your circle of friends, it can be your village or your community, it can be Mm -hmm. your state. Beyond that, there's you. You are formulated by what's happened to you, the culture that you grew in, the laws that you grew in under, whether you're affluent or from poverty. And then there's a brain. The brain is affected and develops, and it controls a lot of what happens to you in terms of expression of behaviors. So in looking at that whole model... It made sense that we need to have a systemic approach and we need to involve as many people within your world as are capable of being brought in. A tribe back in in history was uh, effective up to about 150 people, 
Hmm. So I thought, well, we have small villages in Alaska. Why not approach whole community healing? And if need be, in a larger village, then we can use the same culture but have cohorts that are smaller, Mm -hmm. eight people who can start. But let's have a community of 150 or so that can actually support anyone who is going through the healing process. Okay. And so basically these groups would be groups that have already formed kind of intrinsically. You're not just pairing people up, uh, you know, two individuals here, two there, and then pulling them into a group of eight or 150 or whatever it is, right? Well, actually, here's where recruitment comes in. Okay. Um, If there's an existing cohort, Mm -hmm. yes, we'll accept them. With, the, with them understanding the support that they need to do, which essentially is respect for people and humble inquiry. Okay. If they have that, then they're going to have a relationship that is symbiotic, and they will be working together towards the same future state of healing. Mm-hmm. So you've been using these techniques already. You've not had a long tenure at uh, Rural Cap, but what have you seen in the relatively short time that you've had a whole, you know, your full complement of leadership just about a year, right? Yes. What's what's happened? Our, our breakthrough initiatives are designed to stretch our creativity and innovation capabilities. Mm-hmm. They cannot be manipulated by normal means. So I've been a businessman for a long time. Okay. Uh, what I see in most businesses are manipulation of the existing resources, but not stretching out into adding more. Hmm. So we find CEOs who are pulling down huge salaries by just utilizing what they have in there. They're not allowing the creation of new thoughts, new ideas. Uh, medical care, I think, is a lot like that. Mm-hmm. They have some innovation and creativity, but... A lot of times we recycle patients through again and again and again, never healing. Okay. So that's what this is intended to address along with the behavioral health issues. So with our behavioral health or behavior breakthrough initiative four, we're thinking about how do we heal a whole community Mm -hmm. using as a foundation the restoration to health hypothesis. But I have invited other people in to look at the hypothesis, to challenge it, to add to it, to subtract from it. Mm-hmm. We're going to do the same thing with communities. Okay. When we come in, what we hope will happen is that we get buy-in from the leadership to learn, to not reject. Uh, just because someone has told you something is true doesn't mean it's true. So true. Yes. So as uh, what we found is that our board has accepted this as a an initiative for us. They mm-hmm. did that last September on the 25th. Staff has been already working to try and formulate an approach. Mm-hmm. So in the community action world, we're required to do an assessment, we're required to develop a work plan, and then we're uh, required to measure our performance. Okay. So we did the assessment and we did the work plan for the first year. We also uh, have to put together a funding strategy. So we've set aside funds to be able to go out and recruit a couple of communities to begin testing the hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And what we hope to find is how can we best engage people in the Native community? Step number one, mm-hmm. uh, how can we supplement their nutrition? Okay. Stage number two, can we teach them how to release their trauma effectively and then can we quiet their mind using some of these techniques that we've discussed about? Mm-hmm. But, of course, we want to partner with uh, behavioral health care and health care to make sure that any organic issues and problems are addressed and any behavioral problems beyond the, the stretch of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so we'll do that. 
This is exciting stuff, and I'm just thinking of the many listeners that we have in Alaska. So if someone's tuning into this show, they are living in Alaska, maybe in a rural setting. Should they be thinking about maybe our community could be one of these uh, pilot communities, or are you already making those decisions independent of people coming to the table? We have not made those decisions independent. However, one of the successes that my grant writing team and my community development team have had already uh, that leads us towards talking with one community is that we were successful in getting a grant to, st- to start a domestic violence shelter in the, the native village of Hooper Bay. Hmm. Scammon Bay and Chivac are close by, so those three communities will benefit. We have three years of funding. Oh, okay. People in domestic violence are not only perpetrating adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress, but they're suffering from it. Right, right. So we hope to build on that. We also have a head start in Hooper Bay, Uh uh, and we are already working on parents as teachers, on healing, and on meditation and mindfulness for our students in the program. Interestingly enough, we're working on nutrition too, Dr. DeRose. We have funding from the SNAP program, Uh Supplemental Nutrition, to put in three hydroponic farms in our head start Wow. So that we can begin to learn what it would take to be able to grow our own fruits and vegetables hydroponically within a community uh-huh. that has a very small growing season during right, the summer. Right, right, right. So those initiatives tell us that we need to talk to that community and see if they're interested. This is very exciting stuff. I'm sure there are a lot of people that want to engage with you, want to keep abreast of things that are developing is the website the single best uh, point of contact? Uh, it can take you to us. We'll be sharing more as we redevelop the website. But I want to thank you for your interest in what we're doing at Rural Cap. I have a great team. I have some innovation and creativity. We want to sail on from here to healing. Patrick, this is just great stuff. I know a lot of folks uh, want to keep focused, want to keep following along with you. Again, please give us uh, the best contact information. You can reach us through our website, ruralcap.com, R-U-R-A-L-C-A-P.com. Thank you so much. Patrick Anderson, CEO for the Rural Alaska Community Action Program. Again, that website, simply ruralcap.com. That's all we've got time for today. Hopefully today's show has helped you, again, connect with important healing concepts. Whether it has to do with toxic stress or strategies to deal with it, there is hope for you. If you got nothing more from this show, no matter what you're dealing with today, hope is there. I'm Dr. David DeRose. For all of us at American Indian Living, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.